And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Hey, uh, me and the uh, gang were wondering... Who was that? Can you blush? Here we go, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. I see now. You've been training for two years to take me out. And now here I am. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? Okay, here's your chance. Come on. Come on, what are you waiting for? Here I am, right here in front of you. Get off here, gets the first shot. Come on, what are you looking at her for? You need permission? Or maybe you need a little bit of incentive. Okay, I got that. What's the matter? You miss that? It's okay, I can do it again. Stop it, Reinhardt. Stop it. Come on. Well, you need a manual? Fucking do it. Do it, come on. Then see who. Now you got an explosive device stuck to the back of your hand. Silver nitrate. Rigged to go off if anybody tampers with it. I'll have the detonator with me. And you. You so much as look at me wrong. The Bones Potato Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. 162, buddy. Man. I know, we're getting up there. We have a guest again, and I'm very, very excited about this. This person is an author, an editor, I'm going to say journalist because she's done a lot of interviews and that kind of stuff. Sure. And just all around, I think, one of the best um, advocates. For what I'm going to call the spooky culture, the 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 the, the gothics, the industrialists, the 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 sort of dark underbelly of, sure. of stuff, uh, please welcome Nancy Kilpatrick. Yay! Yay! Hi, Nancy. Hi. I am so happy is, to see you. Is this where I say Kong? <laughs> Bam! Boom. Look at that. Reference done. Boom. Done. Now we can move on. Sorted. <laughs> I'm so happy to Can't have you. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. I, I, I met, I, I think I met you a couple of times, but the last time was at HWA in Portland, yes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Always lovely to see you. We're going to talk a lot about you, if you don't mind. And, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you feel free to talk about me. <laughs> and, and I'm very curious about, about, uh, I'm always, we're always here curious about writers and process and that kind of thing, but we also talk a lot about how the ground soil of most writers is, of course, their youth. So I'm curious about where you grew up and what kind of kid you were, that kind of hmm. thing. Well, I grew up in Philadelphia. I was born in the U.S. Um, and uh, what kind of kid was I? <sighs> I think when I was... Very, very young. I think I might have been a bit of a brat. I'm not sure. 
But I saw, I never thought of myself this way, but I saw a picture of myself, or I have a picture of myself, one of the relatives sent me when I was three, and I look like um, sort of a whirling dervish. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think probably up to a certain point, but I don't really understand that in a way because that's never how I saw myself. I've always, as far back as I can remember, I was always pretty quiet and pretty shy unto myself, as it were, and somebody who, um, you know, I, I guess I was open to life in a lot of ways. I think I was probably always pretty open to life, but at the same time, studying it, sort of, studying people, studying everything, you know, I just uh, not quite unparanoid, <laughs> mm-hmm. if Sure. You, would you, would you desc- uh, describe yourself as an observer? Uh, I guess I must have been an observer because I think I take in a lot, like many writers do, in a way almost by osmosis, if you will, (laughs) like to use an old-fashioned term, but just sort of suck it in vampire style. What's around me? Who's around me? Take all this in. And then, you know, it's it's synthesized somewhere inside me and comes out in the writing, especially the fiction writing, um, as characters. People always say, you know, when you're a writer, they always say, oh, I think I know that person. And I think, no, you don't, <laughs> because that's not a person. That <laughs> is an amalgamation of many people and many things. And it's, it's a, you know, and people will also say, oh, did you write about me? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't even know you. No. I, you so, know, I, yeah. I, I do see a funny thing with a lot of writers now. Um, it's funny, on Facebook, they'll say, who wants to be in my story? Who, who, who wants to die sure. in my story? And I think that's so funny. It's like a perk, ex- uh, especially if, if people are using, you know, some kind of crowdsourcing mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. to fund their, you know, their project. How weird is that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's as weird oh. as buying water. <laughs> well, you I'm know, just drinking that I bought, actually. <laughs> you know, um, uh, years ago... Well, I, I have a in. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, years ago, I spoke with Gaiman, and Gaiman talked about as a kid always being under the kitchen table reading and always, you know, fussing with things. And and um, was that kind of, does that sound familiar? Well, I would have been more in my room reading. Mm, yeah, <laughs> so good, good move. I'm very introverted, so um, I know I sound very extroverted. And I have an extroverted piece of me, of course. Everyone, no one is one or the other. If you're a total introvert, you're psychotic. And if you're a total extrovert, you're manic, maniac. maniac. So, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, so I think I'm really very um, introverted. I spend a lot of time alone. I mean, days alone. And, um, you know, I do get to the point, you know, after about five days by myself in my apartment, oh, I think I should go out for a walk or maybe talk to another human being kind of thing. But, yeah, I've always been that way. So it's not just been reading in my life. It's been many things. I, I used my imagination a lot as a kid. I had a lot of childhood fantasies that kind of progressed as I got older. And, uh, you know, they, they were, they were very, um, alienation, I guess, is the theme, which is probably a theme in a lot of my writing, too. Like the first one. You want to hear the first, the earliest one? I do. Oh, please, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the earliest one is uh, that I remember <laughs> fantasizing about was that I was the only real-life human person on this planet, just me. And everyone else was from somewhere else, from another planet, and they were here, and their purpose of being here, this is very Lovecraftian, by the way, their purpose of being here was to 
tricked me in some way into believing that they were a real person like me. But <laughs> I, knew, I knew that that was not so um, because I knew that if you were to cut them in half lengthwise, so you'd start in the middle of their head and go down their sides and cut them in half, and you took away the back half, you would find that within there was just this black, empty space, mm. almost like you know, you envision the universe, this space with little dots that are stars. I'm on board for this. Why, why, did huh? I, why did I not know you as a child? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if it's awesome. It's a child that's deranged, I'm sure. But yeah, no, yeah. no, no. I think that's a common theme is, is, is with a lot of writers we have on. It's like I was fairly alone. I was fairly the person that stood outside of the circle and watching and right. observing and documenting. It's so much, so much the... Um, it's it, actually this is an interesting twist because so so often people are like I was always an outsider I was always outside of the of mm-hmm. the glass looking in and Nancy it sounds like you were you were on the inside and everyone else was looking in <laughs> I love that do you remember the first story that you wrote uh gee no I wrote as a kid I had a grandfather who doted on me. Um, it was a peculiar family. Um, my mother wasn't there most of my childhood. My father was not there. I lived with my grandparents and my great my grandmother and my great grandmother who lived around the corner. So it was kind of an extended family that I was with, and uh, it wasn't a great family. There were a lot of problems in it and a lot of violence and stuff. But anyway, despite all that, my grandfather, who was not the greatest human being on the planet, he was great to me. If you can imagine, like mm. I was the one that loved and probably a lot of people that's the case with people that are kind of in some way violent they find that the child is easier to be around because children are so accepting and wide-eyed and everything is brand new to them so they're not judgmental and they're not demanding in the same way that an adult would be so he doted on me and um he used to bring me gifts, and all the time he brought me puppies, <laughs> just all kinds of things. And uh, one of the things that he brought me was this little manual typewriter. And uh, so I started pecking out little things on this little thing. <laughs> and uh, started out with, I don't know if it was poetry or what, just, you know, whatever. Uh, and it evolved into little stories, very little stories. But um, I don't remember what any of them were about. I just remember doing that. I had that typewriter for a long time. <laughs> Wow. So that was that first real, you know, real connection. And, um, and and as I've said a couple of times in places where I've been asked this, what's the first book that you've read? Well, I don't remember what people read to me. I have no rec- recollection of those books. Like some people, you know, remember Dr. Seuss or whatever. I don't. I only remember the first book that I took out of the library. And that's when I, I was in grade school and our school. I can't remember how old I was. I might have been seven or eight or something like that but the school took us on this trip to the big library in philadelphia which was downtown it's a gorgeous old victorian structure with old woods and beautiful chandeliers or i don't even know if it's still there but it was at the time and it was awe-inspiring to go into this amazing building and of course back then they had card files there were no computers and so everything was on this strange dewey decimal system that i never have figured out ever in my life i still don't understand it but anyway back then we were instructed how to look through it and this and that and the librarians were really nice and they helped us and so i ended up looking for some books and i found one and took it out of the library and it was called the little witch 
it was the first book that I read that I myself had in some way acquired. And uh, <clears throat> that book was, um, you know, I thought it was a special book. I thought it was, I was the only, of course, when you're a kid, I was the only one to read it. You know, no one had, no one was talking about it. It wasn't anything in the schools, you know. And, of course, then there was just television during its early stages and radio, I guess, in its, you know, <laughs> senior citizen days or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I just thought it was really special, and I had stumbled upon this amazing book. As it turned out, years and years ago, later, um, I ended up having this book come into my awareness again, thinking, oh, I remember this book, this first book that I took from the library. I looked it up. Well, it was this phenomenal book. <laughs> it had gone into, like, I don't know, 50 printings, and it was in print for 45 years. And the woman who wrote it, it was her only novel. It was children's novel, of course, and uh, she'd written poetry. She was a librarian in New England, and uh, she, so she basically just did this one book, uh, that was not poetry or anything else, and uh, and it had many, many, many printings. With you could see the covers over the years if you look it up on the on the internet. You do an image search, or I did, and there were many, many covers that you know it just kept re being rehashed for the next generation. So um, yeah, and it, it's an interesting story too. In brief, it's about a uh, a girl, a little girl who wants to be normal and has friends, but her mother is a witch. <laughs> Onward. <laughs> I was going to ask, and it sounds like you did, I was going to ask if you later um, found the book again. Um, I did. I, and, ba and, I, and back when I looked uh, for it, it was probably about, I don't know, 20 years ago or 15 maybe, and I found it on eBay, <laughs> and I bought a copy, and I had to find the right one, of course, with the cover that I remembered. So, yeah, and I have yeah. a copy in my library. Sort of highlights the importance of libraries. Yeah, absolutely, you know? yeah. It, it really bums me out when I hear about, you know, I talk to young people and they go, ah, I don't go to the library. That's yeah. where, like, you know, the homeless wash up or whatever. But, man, that's such an important place. Yeah, it is. And and, and that's, that's that what you just said, that's where the homeless wash up, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, even though that's not what the library was intended for, current libraries kind of serve that purpose. Mm -hmm. it, it provides shelter for people who, yeah. who at least, don't have at least shelter. a spot to quietly sit and exactly. pick up a book. It's the only place where they can connect to the world. They mm -hmm. can they can log onto a computer. Jennifer works at the library. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Langley's girlfriend works at the library. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you said earlier that you were born in Philadelphia, but you currently live in Toronto. Is that correct? Yes, I'm a dual citizen, U.S. Canadian. I have Canadian citizenship, oh, too. Oh, I'm so jealous. Okay, so you're and living... I don't live I don't live in Toronto. I lived in Toronto for a lot of years. I've lived in Montreal for the last uh, 17. Okay. I was going to say, you are living the fantasy of a lot of Americans right now. <laughs> and, and, and I wanted to ask you how that happened. How what happened? How, how, Canada. How, how, did, how did you wind up moving to Canada? You're, this is the instruction oh. portion of... <laughs> well, when I came up here, it was a different time frame, and the rules were different, and I... Uh, came in with my then boyfriend who was pretty much dodging the draft for Vietnam. So uh, he wanted to come up here for a weekend, and I said, sure, let's go for a weekend. And we came up here, and he left, and I stayed. This <laughs> sort of bottom line. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> did you, but it was did much easier to immigrate back then. I yeah. mean, it, now, it's, now it's difficult because you, you need to have a skill that a Canadian doesn't have, and you need right. to have some dough. I'm not sure an, a refugee is another story, but then that's a hell of a long process to get in anyway. Yeah. So. right, right. Essentially, somebody has to lie for you. 
It's no, like, hey, uh, we couldn't find any Canadians that can do what this person can do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you go to what? Well, did you go to school like college and all the? Oh, I started college at our university in Philadelphia, but I dropped out very quickly. I, I you know, it. I did well, you know, throughout the school system. I, I'm not somebody who ever studied. I'm a, a maniac, honestly. I didn't study through high school and all of that. And I, you know, I'm just, I would go and I'd kind of absorb things. And then I had pretty much B average and everything once in a while. In English, and I had an A, of course, but everything else was B, except for math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And math, other story. But, um, yeah. When I got to university and I tried it, I just thought, oh, man, this is not for me. I don't see myself yeah. doing this for four I, years. No. I agree. So I dropped away. I uh, I remember my first experience in college. I was like, this is like high school with beer. And I just wasn't <laughs> feeling it. Man, I again, I'm jealous because my first experience in college, I was 17. Mm. There was no beer for me. Even, yeah. even I mean, even, I, even the, the, even the people I went to school with are like, oh no, man, no, you're like you, you're too young. Yeah, you can't come to the party. That's I'm like, funny. Oh, fuck you. Do uh, uh, do you remember your first sale? I do. Yeah, I do too. I think that's that's one of those things. I still have the first check Fango ever sent me. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your first sale? Do you remember? When, yes, I do, and I'm not going to talk about it. It's okay, I'll tell you mine. I I made I, my first sale was to Swank Magazine about it was oh, a yeah. sto- it was a story about a guy who had sex with his TV set. Yeah, and as you do, as you do, <laughs> yeah. and, and it turned into this big alien thing. And hey, five hundred oh. bucks cash, boom. <laughs> you got five hundred bucks. I, wow. Yeah. You know who gave oh, me that idea? Stephen King used to say, always send your stuff to men's magazines because they pay well <laughs> and they're not right. You could ask, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not because I wrote porn. It's not because I wrote anything like that, you know, is in any way embarrassing like that. It's just the nature of the story was so ridiculous. I will not talk about it. It's just, <laughs> nice. I, yeah. <laughs> So it's just you know no let's not. That's go good there. because that that let that leads to like yeah. I'm imagining all kinds of things. There's your Easter egg, kids. <laughs> yeah. Imagine anything. It's worth imagining. It's just so banal, but beyond banal. So do you do you find that though? Like like I, I know like I do. There are times when like you finish something, you go, "This is the berries," right? And then like years pass, or you give it to someone. Yeah. My wife comes back and just hands stuff to me. She goes, "I don't know why I let you." <laughs> I have, well, here, yeah, I have the opposite thing. Like, I go back and I read things that I wrote as a teenager mm-hmm. because I still have them. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm like, because I'm expecting them to be awful. Yeah. And they are. Uh, but there's also, like, man, I, if this was a movie, I would love to watch this. Sure. You know? Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, with most of the writing that we do as writers, there's there's always, you know, things that are alive in it. That's why we're doing it. It's a lot. It's something alive. It's like an entity unto itself. And, yes, as we get older and we progress and get more skills and our craft gets more developed, we go back and read that stuff and think, oh, God, you know, passive verbs, every other sentence, you know. Uh, but, yeah, there's still something there, you know. It yeah. came from us to be something, you know, glowing in a certain way. What is some... Um what is the criteria for you? I mean, does like for me, it's like if the idea makes me laugh, I'm in. Um, so, 
like with you when you approach something, is it specifically I want to I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to impart this, I want to impart that? Um, uh, or no. Is it, no, good. I like it. No, <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not trying to impart anything really. I just I, something just moves me enough to actually sit at the bloody computer and start to write. And not everything, of course, moves along to uh, you know a finale. Mm-hmm. Um, some things, you know, there's there's stories that are partly written. I've got a couple of novels in the drawer that have never been published. A couple of, uh, you know, outlines and, and chapters, sample chapters of novels that never went anywhere. And sometimes it's me because I'm just not interested anymore. And sometimes it's the publishing industry isn't interested, so that's that. But usually it's, um, you know, there's some kind of spark, and it's the spark that ignites my energy to do this. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't, I'm just, uh, you know, I can't even explain myself to people. It just, I, <laughs> a panel just fumbling around. Who was? On, I was on the panel with um, Jonathan Mayberry was there at one side of me, and who was on the other side of me? Oh gosh, um, can't remember who, but some big woman writer, big writer, not a big woman, but a big writer woman. Anyway, uh, yeah, they, everybody on the panel was talking about their method of how they write and stuff. And I got to, I've had a blank brain, you know, throughout this, listening to all of them. And I said, I don't know how I write. I just do. <laughs> I can't, I can't describe it. I don't, people talk about things like outlining. I've outlined, I've not outlined, you know, it just, it doesn't, it's, there's nothing consistent with me. I just kind of go with the flow of my own spontaneity. I'll maybe I'll try and put it in a positive work here, but I don't, can't describe, define myself. I, I really, I don't see myself very well in that regard, that particular way mm-hmm. of looking at myself as a writer. I just do it kind of thing. I love that because I, like, I, I you know, I look at people and, and they're, you know, they're talking about their process. And they're like, I I write from 9 to 11 every mm-hmm. morning. And, and I kill myself if I try. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm the same way. Like, like if I'm doing a sculpture, I'm like, I, I can't go, okay, from 5 to 7, right. I'm going to... Yeah. Well, you know, the flip of that is, I forget the person that said it, but he said, I only write when I'm inspired, but luckily inspiration hits me every day at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he, his, his position was, it's a job, and so you go there, you do your job. Well, It's hard because it's creative. Though. Right, and... and, and I, from person to person, it's completely different. Right. Yeah. Sidebar on that. You yeah. Go, I think go ahead. for me, job has a very negative connotation. So yeah. if I saw a job, I probably wouldn't do it because I have never worked very well in jobs, you know, working at under other people's um, uh, direction, as it were. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I've never been good at that and often resentful because sometimes you work for people that are not... You know, as bright as you are, there you go. There's an ego boost yeah. right there. <laughs> and you know, then you know, you're stuck. You know, somebody's giving you orders and you're seizing because you think, yeah, that's not that's not the best way to do this. But you know, you're the boss. You're a jerk. Whatever. So that you know, it, I wouldn't think of it as a job. And I think what they they're trying to say is that it's a business, really, mm-hmm. and it is a business, but not to me at the writing end, not the creative end. That's not the business. I'm not sitting there thinking, okay, is this sentence going to sell? Will this character, will people care about this character? Will right. this be meaningful? 
you know, I'm, is this story going to be, you know, a good, a bestseller or is it going to just fall between the cracks or what? I don't do any of that, you know, and I just kind of let the chips fall where they will in this world, writing. But, you know, to me, it's not work in the sense of, it is work, of course, but it's not work in the sense of a job, something I dislike or something I'm forced to do. If I were forced to do it, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't make it happen. I couldn't, I could, I, I just, I feel life is so, Short, <laughs> shorter right. by the minute. Every, you know, I just don't want to spend my time doing something that is horrible to do. That I'm not enjoying it in some way. I'm not feeling that I'm fulfilling myself or presenting something out to the world that comes from whatever source writing comes from within me or through me in a true and honorable way with integrity. I know that sounds awfully highfalutin, but no, 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 no. You, you're singing my song. Yeah, I was going to say, you are preaching to the <laughs> choir. <laughs> you know, sidebar on, you mentioned Jonathan Mayberry. Uh, first of all, he's a great writer. Second of all, um, I moderated a panel that Jonathan was on. It was Jonathan Roger Ma who did the zombie, the zombie combat manual. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sean Patrick Flannery from Boondock Saints and me. Right. And ZombieCon? ZombieCon. I, I nearly had to break up a fight between Jonathan Mayberry and Sean Patrick Flannery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a funny story where Jonathan was talking about a bone in the throat that would kill you, and uh, Flannery had an issue with that. Mayberry said, I can show you. Next thing you know, Sean Patrick finally flipped the table off the dais, and he's like, let's go, bro. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Like, so I'm whoa. stuck. I'm caught between a guy with a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a black belt in Aikido. <laughs> this is horrible. Um, wow. Yeah, it was something else. That whole con was something else. Um, wait, wait, you say that's horrible. That sounds awesome. It was great. <laughs> The whole time it was happening, I'm like, this is going to go so wrong, but part of me wants to really, like, spar with Sean Patrick. Right, it's Flannery. like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, a lot of the time I've been doing my research on you for this, uh, it, it always talks about, a lot of people were calling you a vampire author. Are you comfortable with that? Well, I'm not a vampire to start with. <laughs> I prefer author of vampire books. Touche. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've written a lot of vampire books. It's not the only thing I write, though. And, you know, I guess it's the easiest peg to put me in. I mean, in the last few years, I've been writing a lot of Lovecraft-type stories. Um, so, you know, specifically for, for publications that are focused on Lovecraft's world. Um, but I don't see myself as a Lovecraft writer. I write, I've written some stories, yes. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it, I, whatever. I don't really care how people see me, you know. <laughs> just don't mm-hmm. uh, and whatever. I just want them to buy my books, you know. Right. <laughs> well, well, let me let me ask you a question then. It, it, like, is there a particular aspect? Uh, well, first of all, I guess before I do that, would you would you at the very least describe yourself as a horror author? I do, yeah. But I've also written mysteries and I've also written fantasy. Well, not much fantasy, just a tiny, tiny bit. <laughs> sure. One is fiction story, but it's an erotic science fiction story, so it's in a sub subcategory. Um, yeah, and of course erotica. 
I've written too. So I've written a lot of different um, aspects of you know fiction or, or genres and subgenres of fiction, but. Yeah, I don't know. I just consider myself, I don't know, I don't consider myself at all. <laughs> That's whatever I do. <laughs> you know, if it, if it comes out and it fits into horror, yeah, sure, why not? Sure. Okay, well, well with, with that in mind, um, do you, do you care, does it bother you whenever people pigeonhole you? Um, I guess well, Tom already asked this question, you know, as a vampire writer. Really? I don't care. People, people see the way they see, and um, you know, being that person who um, you know wanted to cut people in half from the, <laughs> the, the, the yes. down the Just side, right? See the I dark abyss inside. inside. I don't, I don't have trouble with any of it because I still don't trust people very much. I trust my close friends, the people that are closest to me. It's about seven or eight of them. Those are the people I trust. Trust. Those are my friends. I don't use the word friend loosely the way they do on Facebook. Everybody's a friend. Sure. On Facebook, I have almost 5,000 friends, right? So uh, they're not friends. They're, they're people I may or may not know, and they, they're acquaintances, most of them, and none of my friends are on Facebook. So basically, I'm, you know, I'm talking about the people that are near and dear to my heart, that I've known over a long time, that I can be myself with, and they can be themselves with me, and we can talk about anything you know, and just move up and down the levels of conversation where you go deep and you go silly and you go all these ways, right? And I'm sure you know what I mean. Those are the people that I care about, and I don't have to think or worry about what they think about me because they will tell me what <laughs> they think about me. And especially if I'm, you know, if they see me walking, you know, towards the edge of a cliff, they will mention that to me. Um, everybody else, you know, they're going to see. I don't know them, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't really right. know them. So yeah, I yeah. can't really worry about what they think about me or how they see me because I don't know who they are. I don't know really what's going on. And I'm, I've done enough therapy over my lifetime to get beyond that, you know, hollow person inside that's not me. <laughs> I've done all therapy and other things and I've read a hell of a lot and I, I think I've kind of absorbed a lot of, you know, the big picture of life that I, you know, I, people are very complicated and what you see is not always what you get and sometimes you're getting the tip of the iceberg of that person um, and people have very much, very dark sides that they try to hide. Everybody wants to present themselves in a good light, of course, and, but you don't see the dark side for a while until it comes up. So, you know, I'm cautious around people generally um, and I'm, I also feel people tend to there are people, there are some people, not everybody, but there are some people that tend towards ganging up on others. Yeah. And I definitely am aware of that, and I have been a victim of that um, in my life, and I stay, I, I'm fine-tuned to it. So, um, yeah, I think it's, a, it's one of the, the worst things about humanity. I mean, I just, all of the things that happen, you know, some of them are, yes, the lone serial killer running around chopping off heads or whatever after they have sex with the person living or dead. But that's the serial killers. That's not the average person. Right. The average person is different. And the average person, some of those average people are, they'll be the ones, you know, with the torches, you know, coming up to oh, the sure. castle. To Absolutely. So, well, you know, I, my, my wife and I, we've, we've been watching don't ask me why forensic files yeah as she we go she goes to bed yeah and i'm now convinced that everyone is just killing it's, people it's soothing yeah. <laughs> so i i I, I, I agree with you to your point i i call it the chicken syndrome 
When I was a kid, growing up in the country, there was this behavior amongst chickens where if a chicken develops a, a wound or a sore, mm. all the other chickens attack it. Sure. And they, and, 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 and they will literally peck that other bird to death. And, wow. uh, and, and I see people the same way. It's like, oh, oh, here's, there's a chink in your armor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to well, call know, TMZ. I'm going to, you know what I mean? The, the, in Japanese cinema, there's something called dub style violence. Yeah. And the idea is there's a movie, a series of movies called All Night Long about the group attacking this, the, the, the lone individual. Right. Yeah. And the lone individual finally having enough and doling out a little payback. Goes out, goes. And that's the last goes real little straw dogs on him. Yeah. Straw dog. <laughs> uh, I'm curious about your writing influences. Like, like, who are the writers that you get excited about when you see they have something new coming out? Well, I actually don't talk about living writers. I know too many writers, and writers always feel slighted yeah. when you don't mention them. And you ever go into Facebook and you have, you know, name some women writers. Well, I always feel really hurt if I'm not on anything. <laughs> 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 I'm so I hate all that. I talk about dead writers. I'm happy. Or, or, or writers that are so far away from me, like Patrick Suskind. I love his stuff. He wrote uh, per, um, Perfume. Uh, he wrote Pigeon. Oh, yeah. he, oh Perfume. The German oh writer. I thought he was fantastic work but you know normally it's more like uh you know i go to shirley jackson and um margaret carter and mary shelley for the women's side of it and um you know some of bram stoker and robert louis stevenson was great and you know i'm back in the old school days of these people that wrote you know more than a century ago um and and certainly robert block i love his lot of his writing um He's from the 1900s. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, so any there's I've read many, many, many books, and I've like everybody else who's a writer that loves writing. We all have read many books, and I've not just read in the horror field. I've read all kinds of books from everything from fiction and nonfiction and every genre you can imagine. So I, you know, there's so many writers that in a way every book influences me. If if you want to look at it that way. Um, I've just been into a, a reading stint of mysteries, and I've read about three or four in a row. Uh, there are certain writers I like to follow the series, uh, but I don't buy every book that comes out right away. Sometimes it's, you know, five years down the road, oh, yeah, I'll start reading that person again. Uh, but I read their series, and, uh, you know, it's always kind of fun reading a series because you fall back into it quickly. You know mm-hmm. the characters and what they're about and so on. And, I mean, every one of those those writers that I'm talking about, the four that I read recently, um, they all write very differently, and they all bring something interesting to their stories, the way they come at the story and how they present the characters and how they move the plot along. And, uh, you know, I learn from that. I All the time I learn from other people's writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so, small sidebar, the, have, you, uh, have you heard this Netflix is redoing Haunting of Hill House? Uh, I don't think I've heard that they're redoing that. No. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they're, they're, they're pumping a ton of money. Well, into it that that begs the question: uh, Are you a movie person? That's at my all? next question. Oh yeah, <laughs> movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is? Can you give me a couple of desert? I like. What is your? Like I always say, my favorite film is it's a tie between White Christmas and Night of the Living Dead. Right. Because there's <laughs> because they're so thematically. <laughs> How about you? And they would touch different parts of you and yeah. get deep. Oh, don't even get me started. 
<laughs> the best things happen while you're dancing. The only thing that would have made that perfect is if they were you know, uh, zombies. If they were zombies, yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. Night in the Living Dead was one of my favorite films for a long time because it's the only film I ever, ever, ever walked out of the theater. I didn't see it oh. when it first came out. I saw it a few years later, and I was with my ex, one of my ex-boyfriends then, and uh, we went to see this. And I, I the, the opening scene in the cemetery was so traumatizing for me, for a lot of reasons, because there, a lot of people died in my life, and you know, cemetery thing. It was very close, and the isolation of it, and this creature coming along. I had I walked out of the theater right at the in that point where the you know the zombies coming wow. towards them. I, I just couldn't handle it. And then, of course, I did go back and see it, and I saw it many times. And, uh, you know, it, it's always been, you know, shocking and yikes. Uh, but I, I love it. it. It's got its own, you know, its sure. own realm that's so fantastic. I remember being in Chicago at, at for something. I think it was Comic-Con, but I, it could have been something else. And I was staying with Kena Jens. And, uh, and she, and this was back in the day when they had these, what were they called? They're like these gigantic records, but they were movies. There was this. Oh, laser, laser discs. Yeah. Laser, yeah. So she had one, she had a bunch of these, and they had a laser disc player, and her husband was out, and, and she had Night of the Living Dead, and we said, okay, let's watch it together, you know, because we're both horror writers. And so we're playing this movie, and it's just, you know, dun, dun, it's going, 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 you know, and the tension is building, and, all of a sudden, we heard this noise. We both screamed and jumped up off the couch at the same moment, <laughs> coming in the door. But it was so, you know, visceral to the, the reaction to, you know, anything. And I still find that with zombie movies in general. Not all of them, because some of them are just crap. But, you know, the really good ones, I mean, it, this is like, wow, you know. That, again, it's that gang mentality. You know, mm-hmm. it's the gang of zombies they're not thinking about it but they're just reacting that way because they swarm people right right and this is you don't it's not one-on-one if it's one-on-one sure you can handle that but if there's five ten twenty a hundred and fifty thousand yeah that's another story it was the big argument about slow versus fast right right the slow is it's usually the the human side that is their own undoing right where fast is just you're just don't, screwed. Don't ask yeah. me to run. There's a swarm yeah. of ants that are coming to get yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, totally. I love, I love the, the archetype. 28 Days. Oh, yeah. That was, first, that was the first fast one, wasn't it? 28 uh, Days Later? Yeah. yeah. Followed quickly by Zack Snyder's uh, Dawn. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I do have a recommendation for you. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, what's that? I want you to check out a movie called It Stains the Sands Red. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I know about it. Yes, I want to see. It. I'm waiting till it. I don't have a television. I'm waiting for it somewhere on the internet, like, like something else, so I can actually see it, or even in a theater would do. Why but is it, that awesome that a writer doesn't have a television? Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> well, we had uh, we had the film cinematographer on, and um, it, it's it's a decent, it's a good take, a novel take on something that we've all been seen before. Right, and it. This, it Listen to that show. I listen to that show. Oh, great. Oh, oh okay. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think I meet a lot of people that work within genre, and that's that's all they consume is genre. Right. And I think that's such a big mistake. They don't have a white Christmas in their closet. Right, yeah. right, right. right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think those are important, you know. Well, I mean, you know, if... if uh, uh, Back when I, I thought I wanted to be a writer, 
one of my favorite books that I looked to as an example of how to do it, mm. you know, air quotes, how to do it, was Sacagawea. Um, really? Yeah, well, because it was written by a lady in her, I, I, I want to say 80s, but I, that's probably not correct, but an elderly woman who had never written anything before in her life. And I'm like, oh my God, that's me. I'm an elderly woman who's never written anything before in my life. And I wanted to, and, and, and so I wanted to follow her lead, you know. Sure. The point being is that you need to, I feel like, you need to expand or, oh sure. Or you need to have a broad net. You know, you need to have a wide net to 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 really get your craft. Whether it's painting, writing, whatever it is. It's the it, it's the uh, ten thousand hours. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious to ask about publishing and and the fact that um, we the we call it that we talk a lot about the democratization of the technology. Sure. Where the as I like to say, the good news is is that anyone can publish a book. The bad news is anyone can publish a book. So and I'm does. curious. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm curious because you're you're a lot of your stuff is coming through Crossroad, yeah. Uh, it is now, yeah. I mean, I never self published, so I don't really understand. Uh, actually, I suppose back in the. In the early 90s or something, there was an amalgamation of five of us writers. It was um, Dave Wilson, um, oh, gosh, I can't remember. I think Karen Taylor was in there. Anyway, there were five of us, and we all chipped in money to start a little mini publishing house. And so we published our own books, just novellas. Uh, so that was that. And it was just a tiny, tiny venture. That's the closest I've ever been to self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, Crossroads is an actual publisher, and they do e-books and print books and such. And uh, I got with them because I had a, a big backlist of books that uh, were no longer in print that I wanted to have in some fashion, e-books, print books. And so that's what they were doing initially. And then they started doing the print books as well, mm-hmm. it, more of print books. At first, they were just doing the e-books um, pretty much. And so I went with them because they were going to do the e-books for, and the print books for my new series. So that's why I'm there because mm. this is a publisher, you know, the kind of series. It's a well, anyway, we can talk about that later. But yeah, that's why I'm there. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, David. One, David's been on, been on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Crossroad, Crossroad Prince, whatever I do, and, and I'm so honored to do that. I look at I look at some of the people that are also on that, well, and I'm just happy to be in the room. I, I think it starts with that he is a fan. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that that's important. I, you know, like um, I've talked to this is something completely different, but I've talked to people who are behind um, conventions, for mm-hmm. example, who they don't give a shit. They're they're not a fan of what's going on. You know, at the convention, they're just interested in hey, here's a thing that people seem to be into, so let's make some money. Sure, sure. And and whereas whereas he is a genuine fan. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's and like Miguel. When we have Miguel Rodriguez from Global right. Imaginings, that guy yeah. is truly a fan. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think that that I think that that shows, you know, in 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 whatever they're doing. It like sure. You know, it, Oh, I've been to It con- shows a love. I've been to cons where the people were just there for the money and you could tell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um do you have advice to people about getting their work noticed? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. You're like, yeah. I'm still working on I'm that actually myself. Just, I'm yeah. looking for a key. Well, the world has changed in case you didn't notice. Um, with all the possible books that can be written by anybody and are, 
everything has altered. I would say the last uh, 15 years has been this kind of slow climb. Um, Amazon has been a pivotal point in terms of, uh, you know, ebook sales for sure. Um, but also now with print books and they're um, a publisher as well, it encourages people to write books, as I guess in the music industry it's the same thing. Anybody can write music and sing it and sing a song. And I, I don't know. It, I just feel very uncomfortable with this whole thing. Um, I don't want to discourage anybody from writing, but <laughs> I should mm. throw the butt in here. Uh, I... I think that it's important still. I'm probably really old-fashioned because I live in the Victorian era, so you have to excuse me. But I honestly think it's important to develop your craft. I don't think that you start at the top. I don't think that you have a right to start at the top, mostly. Because when you're young, you know, you need to learn things. And you might have something that's a great idea and you might have done it really well and maybe that book is very successful, but that's not the experience of 99.9% of, .9 of the people who write books, whether it's in this era or 30 years ago. It's not the experience of the normal writer. Most of us have a difficult time and especially today, this is where I'm getting to your question here, because you know we're, we're in this world where we're flooded with books. I mean, it's a big flood of material just going through, and there are all these other related, connected businesses that are, I don't want to use the word praying, but I will, preying upon writers who have this desire to have their book published. So they're charging the money for this, they're charging for that, they're charging for promotion, they're charging to lay out the book, they're charging for everything, you know. I met a guy, <laughs> this shocked me to death, but this is like, few years ago, maybe, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, it was at a, I think it was at a World Fantasy Con, and we happened to be sitting at the same table where there was something going on in the room, and we started talking, and this guy, he had published ten novels, and he gave me his card, he gave me the bookmarks, he gave me the whole thing, blah, 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 and then talking with him, and looked up his, you know, stuff on the internet, cause I had the phone there, and uh, it turned out that he had self-published all ten of these novels, and each one, he had gone through a, a process, at least he got them edited, he got bought artwork, he paid to have them, you know, put into the whatever programs it is that they use for ebooks. I think he only had ebooks, and maybe he had print books too, I don't recall, but I know that each of the books he told me, I <laughs> bravely asked, how much did that cost? <laughs> I'm just curious, that was about eight or nine years ago. He spent $10,000 to do each book. Wow. 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 With it's... more on the way. Now, it's very nice if you have that disposable income and you have this great desire to be published and nobody's going to publish your book. Damn it, you're going to get them out there anyway. But it makes me wonder how many people not have that kind of money to do that, but some do for sure. But a lot of people are feeling that they, they either do it themselves and they might do a good job, but many of them don't because they're not, in, and they don't even proofread the books. Um, but there's this whole world that has developed around the idea of anybody can write a book and so yeah we'll encourage you but we'll charge you yeah, sure. <laughs> I feel bad for a lot of people because this is not what writing is about yes there is the business end there's the marketing end the publishing end all of that stuff it's always been always will be but this is a whole other level of um, exploiting people in my view sure agreed 
I, I and I and I think it's across several different um, areas, like uh, in the special effects community, especially the special effects makeup community. You know, now you have all these schools where it's mm -hmm. like, oh, we're going to charge you this amount of money to learn this particular skill. Oh, by the way, which nobody says, no one hires you for this skill anymore. Right. You right. know, you have you have this dream of being the next. You know, Rick Baker. Well, not not to pick on Tom, but it's like Savini's school. People go through Savini's school and they think that's the uh, I'm I'm, I'm I, I graduated now. Yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah, and, and no. 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 Yeah. Then you get to your first. Well, shot. that's a name guy. So you know, I mean, he he's so well known, and I mean, this is something anybody would have done this, you know, 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Right. You know, that you utilize what you can to sort of. Say I did this school and that helped me, and then somebody's mm -hmm. oh, you went yeah. to Tom school. It, yeah, well, it, it, would, yeah. it would be like Stephen King saying, "Hey, I'm opening a horror writing school, yeah, and I'm going to teach you how to write, you know." And and anybody who goes and pays money to go to that school, well, this fictional school. Well, I think that's fine, but you have to remember that once you get out of school, like the the Savini thing, you're going to be whipping foam. You're going to be yeah, you're going to exactly. go back yeah. to that it's step good, one. It, but, yeah. Had you not gone to that school, you'd still be doing the same Agreed. thing. Yeah. Are you comfortable operating within social media? Uh, well, I was just going to answer your other question, finish oh. my answer with that, and which leads into social media, okay. which has with promotion and how really difficult it is now to promote anything because not only is there a flood of writers and all of these um, uh, auxiliary businesses that are you know surrounding all of this self-publishing and small press publishing and so on, but because of this, your your promotion gets lost in this flood. You, how do you reach writers? I personally have a difficult time now. I'm on Facebook. I have a big presence there. Um, I, I, you know, I don't really discuss anything controversial on Facebook because I don't think it's the place for it. It's a, it's a, you know, who knows who? I have an open Facebook page. Anybody can read it, but I have, you know, thousands of friends here. I'm on Twitter. I, you know, I'm doing all these other things. What's the other thing? Instagram, which I have a very little thing on. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, blog. I do a blog, occasional blog. I'm very, you know, I can't do it. I can't force myself. But there you go. I've got all this stuff, but I don't really. I don't really see myself, and I didn't think about this so much in the past, but I knew in the past who the people that I would meet when I would do signings, who they were. They tended to be people who liked vampire books, people who liked horror and goths. And those were the people that I would see when I would do a signing in a bookstore or at a, an event, you know, a, a Comic-Con or something. Those were the people that I would talk to. And I don't have that same connection now because the world is quite different. All of the back in the day when I was publishing my first vampire books in the 90s, there were so many vampire organizations. I was a member of many of them, and there, you know, at any of those places, you would you would just send a notice. I have this book out, and they put it in their newsletter or whatever, or tell their friends. And big sales came out of this because there were people that were interested. And the goth world was very similar. You know, it plugged into goth places and goth people. And it's not like that anymore. So this, these things have changed. There are very few vampire-related organizations and groups, and the ones that are there are focused differently than they used to be. The mm -hmm. whole, you know, Twilight changed a lot of things. Sure. So the focus is different, and the goth world is also quite diminished from what it used to be. And the goths that are there now are not 
into exactly the same kinds of things that, you know, back in the day when I was dressing Victorian drag, <laughs> nobody's dressing that anymore. You know, it's just not the same, and the music is different and so on. So every generation has its thing, but it leaves me thinking, okay, how do I promote my books? Where do I promote them? How do I find readers? I never thought I had to find readers. I thought that they, the books would just be, you know, there, and people would buy them. <laughs> but now, apparently, there's just so many books out there that even the top writers, even the best-selling authors are having diminishing sales. So this mm-hmm. tells you that the market is flooded, and that's why you can go on to um, onto Amazon and you can see the hardcover of a best-selling author, the trade paperback of the best-selling author, and the ebook of the best-selling author. The ebook costs more than the trade paperback. Their ebook will be now seventeen or eighteen dollars. The trade paperback will be maybe sixteen or seventeen dollars in U.S. dollars. We're talking about, and the hardcovers, of course, are very minimal. But that, you know, why would it? Why would an ebook cost that much money? Right, because, because it, it costs a little. For the, lo- for the lower sales, because that's what people are buying, they think, and when they buy that, they, you know if you've done an e-book, how you have fruit through um, Crossroad, Tom, you have, so you know there is not much to it to doing an e-book. You send in the file, it gets thrown into a program, boom, it's done. If you supply the cover yourself or they do the cover, it, it's a very quick process, not like print books at all, and print books, uh, for most publishing houses in the history of it, have had these great long expenses that come with it, where the book is printed, you know, through the publisher that's edited first of all. Uh, the author has seen it many times. You go over it, and then eventually it's clean, and then it goes to the printer. The printer prints the books. The books have to go to a warehouse where they're stored. Then they go to distribution at all the, the chain stores and the independents, and those people are buying these books on consignment in a sense because they if they don't sell they can send them back and they go back to the warehouse and then from the warehouse they're either destroyed or remaindered or whatever you know there's all kinds of processes here you don't have any of that with ebooks mm-hmm. there's no warehouse right you know cut out a lot of people that normally would be and even if it's in a chain store it's on a computer yeah you can order it that way i mean it's just it's a different world so how do you promote within this context when you're dealing with so many so many books and how do you find your readers in this process? I wish I knew. If you have heard anybody say anything like this and anybody you've interviewed, tell me because I want to hear it. I don't find social media well, particularly you, effective. The, the only thing that I've seen, and this isn't something that you're in control of, the only thing that I've seen is if... Uh, someone from another uh, uh, endeavor falls in love with your book. Oh, sure. You get some actor celebrity reading your book and there's a photograph of her. It's in a movie as a prop, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of um, the Warm Bodies guy. Mm -hmm. uh, The the, the guy that wore... Seattle-ish uh, dude, uh, dude uh, that, and, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name right now. I met him, um, and he wrote Warm Bodies, and then he wrote the sequel to Warm Bodies. But for whatever reason, somebody bought the rights to that book, yeah. and then it becomes a movie. And now, kids, I I use 
kids with air quotes pay attention to it. Twilight, I guess, is a really good example mm-hmm. uh, of, of something like that. Had that had the movies not happened, I don't know. I mean, like I don't know if it would have been as good as it was. I know there were big books, but yeah. Um, the thing that disturbs me about Twilight is Twilight moms. It's sure. Like, it's like <laughs> ugh, women in their fifties that are are saying, "I'm on, I I." Writing fan fiction about Edward. Well, well, I mean, that, that may just that may disturb you personally, but <laughs> but far be it far be it from us well, to to impinge on somebody else's experience. I will say that social media gives people an opportunity to get to know the person behind all the books. Sure, and that that's and that's cool. True, that's, and that's true. Cool. Yeah, and I'm really that's lucky. True. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I don't get a lot of shitheads coming on and and. Wanting to discuss politics, so I'm very fortunate in that. Uh, but I don't politics and I don't talk religion. Yeah. Good you know, for you. Uh, I'm saying you never discuss politics and religion. Well, I'm pretty quick that. to shit on religion. If the whole if the true. whole world would just follow that, <laughs> <laughs> we'd be in so much better shape. How how important in all of these projects do you in all of this process you feel an agent is? I've had many. <laughs> oh my God, I've had so many agents. It's kind of sad, really. I mean, I sound like a total loser, but I think I'm on my ninth or tenth one now. There you go. If you're gonna, hey, and I've had big agents. My first agent was a big agent, New York, and I was young, and I'd written a book that was not horror, and it was not vampire, and um, and so I was always very, you know, clear business-wise because I had been you know, in jobs where I had to use business-type skills over the years, and early years anyway. So I went to what then was called the literary marketplace. I don't even know if it still exists. And they would have agents listed by the genres that they functioned under and, you know, what they, they buy and what they don't buy and who they represent. So I found 10 agents that I thought would uh, be interested in this book. And they... I, I went <laughs> because I was young. <laughs> and you know how you are when you're young. You're sort of like, oh, yeah, the world is open to me. <laughs> so I started at the top, the 10 top agents. There you go. <laughs> I yeah. Went way down through the thousands, right? So I did 10 of them. I, I sent them. What, in those days, you had to send a letter. There were no emails. You sent a letter, and, uh, and it was a query letter, and you said, I have this book. This is what it's about in a short paragraph. Uh, would you be interested in seeing sample chapters? Well, of those 10, eight said no. <laughs> they didn't even want to see. Sure. Two of them wanted to see sample chapters, sent them. Of the two, one wanted to see the entire manuscript. I sent it, and he took me on. Nice. And that was nice. Henry Morris. Henry Morrison was, was a big agent. He had a lot of big, 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 big writers, and uh, I was kind of floored by this. But he told me right from the get-go, he's really um, a nice man, and I liked working with him. And he, and he said, my game plan is this, pretty much. He didn't say those words, but that was his, you know, the gist of it, that he knows all of the editors very well, and he would send it to those people that he thought could appreciate this book. And so he sent it out to eight editors of the biggest house in New York. When there were big houses still in New York, instead of, you know, melding under the banner of, you know, big multinationals that make widgets and sell books. Anyway, now uh, he sent that out, and of the people that he sent the book to, the eight, uh, I don't think there was a negative response from any of them, and some of them really loved it, but nobody wanted to buy it. So he said, send me another book just like this. But by that time, <laughs> I had gone back to the thing that I like to write much more, which was the darker stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have this vampire book. <laughs> and so I sent it to him. 
and he didn't think he could sell it because he wasn't so interested in representing Hara, which had a tiny percent of the market then. I have no idea what it is now, but then it was something like 8% of the world market, which was really low. So you couldn't make much money, and an agent, of course, is making money off the, whatever the writer makes, so whatever the advance is, they get the money, they get their percent, which is, I think at the time was 10 or 15 percent, I'm not sure. So yeah, so we parted ways, friendly term and everything, and that was my first agent, and, uh, and I was sad to see him go, and I was sad to go away from him, but I was still young enough to have hope. <laughs> so... I ended up with other agents, um, one of whom loved my stuff, and he, um, I'm not going to mention any names any, at, beyond this point here, but he, um, he was a hemophiliac, and uh, he was the hot agent at the time. He was from He's Canada, like, but he was hot you're agent. You're talking my language, sister. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not hot that way. <laughs> Let me he ask was you. the one that was selling books like crazy, and uh, he, he ended up... Uh, dying very quickly because he was a hemophiliac. Uh, so there was, and then there was another big agent that was in the horror field who's still around, who I won't mention. And uh, and I came home from a convention one time. I'd sent him something, and there was this message on my phone that sounded like a marriage proposal. I love your stuff. I love you. Are going to have a great. Career. I mean, it was just you know I was I was kind of bowled over by this because it was really. You know, we can go far together, the two of us. You know, we'll make this happen. You know, <laughs> sure. and I'm just mesmerized by this. So he had the book, and uh, and I guess it was, you know, and back in those days I was a little bit more obedient where, you, you know, you're supposed to wait. You don't call people, and, and you're supposed to wait a little while before you actually contact them. So I did wait six months, and uh, and then I hadn't heard anything more from him, so I called him and left a message, and he called me back. And it was like Jekyll Hyde, honest to God. And he said, uh, I can't sell this. This is not working. Nobody's interested in it. This is not good enough. <laughs> this is a little, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. But <laughs> So, yeah, that was the end of that. Um, turned out later I, I found out that he was in the midst of a divorce, and that probably affected his. Oh, <clears throat> sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had him. Then I had a woman who ripped me off financially for a couple of years. She was collecting royalties, and then all of a sudden stopped answering my messages and uh, the way it works is the agent gets the money from the publisher and then they send the client their 85% and the agent keeps the 15%. Right. All of a sudden, I stopped hearing from her and I had moved and my life was chaotic, my marriage ended, lots of things were going on, so I lost track of some things in the business part and when I got that together, I thought, well, I haven't had a royalty statement in a long time. Wow. Tried to get in touch with her and um, she wouldn't return my calls and I wrote to her and she didn't. Anyway, to cut to the chase, she ripped off a couple of thousand, and I had to, this is pocketbooks, I had to contact them and say, okay, this agent and I are not working together, and she's stealing from me, and da-da-da, and what can I do about this? And they said, well, we can't do anything about it, these are legal contracts, but what you can do is you can divide the royalties so that you, we send you the 85% directly, we send her the 15%. So I went with that because it was the best option. They couldn't do anything about what had already been paid, of course. Yeah, right, so then right. the next one I had was Southern Woman, and she was like full of great big ideas, and all of these great big ideas didn't actually ever culminate in anything. But I have to say, of all of them, she's the only one that sold anything for me. All the books I've sold, I sold myself, if you can imagine. So she's the only one that did sell anything. Uh, but the deals that she had talked, she touched a big, wondrous game. They never materialized in the way 
way that she would, you know, they were always, they always became very little deals. So I disconnected with her. And then who did I have after that? I think there was well, someone. Well, let, let, me, let me ask you a question. In, in, in this day and age, do you think the, it, it, with the, the, the model being what it is now, whatever that is. Whatever that is. Yeah, it, <laughs> is an agent important anymore? Well, there are houses that will only look at works that are submitted through agents. That's why it's important. Why it's always been important to have an agent. Um, so basically, you um, you know, you have to. If you want to get into the big houses, then you have to go the way they want you to go. And um, if you have an agent, you can say to them, "I'd like you to submit this to this house," and that's theoretically what they do because they work for you. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what they're supposed to do. That right, is what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, I have a, after the ones I told another three agents, I'm on the third of those three right now. So we'll see where this goes. But, you know, again, it's like, it's tiring. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I stay with agents just because of that major house possibility. Sure. Well, as usually happens, we're running out of time. <laughs> I want to ask you about, before we go, what are you working on now? Now I'm working on book three. I have a new series, and yes, it is vampire. And uh, there will be six books all together in this series. That's what I'm envisioning at the moment. Uh, so book one is out. It's called Revenge of the Vampire King. And book two is out. It's called Sacrifice of the Hybrid Princess. And the series is called Thrones of Blood. So I'm working on book three, which is Abduction of Two Rulers. Basically, it's two, two societies that uh, hate each other, the Sapiens, which are the human beings, and the vampire, which are the vampires. And there's lots of violence and sex. I get that out of the way right away. And sometimes <laughs> even violent sex. And nice. there's all kinds of intrigues and, you know, back and forth. And um, people seem to really love the book so far, and I'm glad. The few I, people that are buying it. <laughs> as Tom and I often say, when people come on the show, you kind of become an in fact uh, member of the family. And uh, uh, I would love to have you back, since that, because we didn't talk about it at all today, to talk about erotica. Yes. And where... That's a great idea. Yeah, because we haven't really We've done We've been wanting that. to talk no, about we've that. We've done the Good porn job. film, but we haven't really... Yeah, we haven't really Good talked job. about erotica as, as, fiction, as literary. Yes, fiction. please. That would be great. Uh, how, do, how can people get in contact with you via Facebook and all that other stuff you talked about? Yes. I'm on Facebook, Nancy Kilpatrick. There's a few of us, but I'm the one that's the writer. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Nancy K. Writer, or is it, Na yeah, at Nancy K. Writer. I have a blog and all that stuff. Yeah, once you find me on Facebook, you'll find all the rest. And uh, I have a website, too, NancyKilpatrick.com. Right on. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so, <clears throat> thank you so, God, I'm choking today. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. I know we had, we had a little couple hiccups getting this together. We had, we had, a, we had some technological problems um, but, getting going. As always, it's it's been great. Yeah. Um, thanks again. We will be back in a second. And uh, first, you're going to dig this.
And we're back, as always. Yeah. Awesome. One of the great things that, that I love about our show is that oftentimes um, we'll start talking to somebody and 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 we don't know know them, mm-hmm. but by the time we're done, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like that's this. I'd I've always loved things like dinner for five. Yeah, the idea of uh, the uh, eating or somehow just a conversation that happens, and yeah. at the end of it, everyone knows each other. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, let's see. Moving on to some other stuff, uh, like who died. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I was re- listening when I was listening to the file last night. Or the last show, you were talking about how Best Buys dying, yeah, Best yeah, Boys yeah. dying and stuff. Yeah, here's some more of that. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of music stuff. First up, uh, actor, uh, musician Mickey Jones. Dude, uh, here's a guy. You know, we talk all the time about Movie Helper. Mm. This guy has been in everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Commercials. A lot of biker roles. I was just going to say, I don't know what they're going to do for bikers now. Because yeah, yeah, this yeah. guy was, like, always there. What I didn't know is that he was a musician. Played with Kenny Rogers in the first edition. Right. Uh, played with Dylan. When yeah. Dylan went electric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's like just being... In the back seat of history, you yeah, know, very, exactly. very, very cool. Yeah, uh, and he was a good actor, and so by the response, everyone was saying he was a really good guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zeno Roth passed away, guitarist and brother of Uli Roth of the Scorpions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you're a fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, the only people, the only person I know, you know, in the Scorpions is Shanker. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and 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 I never remember which brother it is. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. There's Rudolph and Michael. Right. Michael's the better guitar player, but um, yeah, Klaus Meine he always makes me laugh. The, with the whole totally affected German, yes, as he's trying to sing "Get Out of My Wee." <laughs> all right, move aside. Klaus is here. Um, trying to hit all the music ones. Did first. I ever, did I ever tell you that like the most fights I ever saw at any concert? Was at a Scorpions concert. <laughs> I counted eight fights yeah. at a Scorpions concert. Yeah, I went to see them with uh, Girl School and Iron Maiden. The girl I was dating at the time was like big metalhead. Sure. And so we just went there, and oh, I was, I was just miserable, <laughs> miserable. I want to say when I saw them, uh, this is in the early '80s, well, mid '80s. Uh-huh. Um, I want to say it was with somebody like White Lion yeah. or, you know, somebody White like Lion. that. <laughs> the Scorpions were the headliners. White Lion always makes me think of Nelson. Remember <laughs> Nelson with that long blonde hair? Yeah, and they were yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. we're kind of related to <laughs> rock and roll histories. Anyway. Um, Leon and Dugu Chancellor, he was a drummer. He was the drummer on Billie Jean. Oh. Big session guy. Speaking of Billie Jean... I, are you hip to these these two uh, uh, interviews that Quincy Jones yeah, yeah, just yeah. did? Oh my God, <laughs> Quincy Jones! He's officially just decided I don't give a I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the Beatles were a terrible band. Yeah, just uh, Michael Jackson was uh, just stole from everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he tells a story about. Uh, I can't remember now if it was Prince or Michael Jackson. Somebody sent one of one of those two dudes sent a box of a, a bowel movement to the other. <laughs> it's, it, here's the thing: is that like 
all the stuff in those interviews are like bananas. Yeah. And I believe everyone. I do too. <laughs> oh, I totally do. Yeah. Uh, after listening as long as I've had, well, since it's beginning, the Gilbert Gottfried show, the yeah. podcast, yeah. and they just tell these horrific stories about yeah. famous people. Um, I believe in just about anything. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, what it comes down to after checking out the Quincy Jones interviews is everything after me was bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally becoming the like the the. The producer version of Clint Eastwood yeah. and Torino. Yeah, just exactly. Mad yeah. and angry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you're all fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, we need I songwriters, just, not. I just love it. At one point, he was talking about Trump, and he goes, You know, I used to date Ivanka. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Translation. Yeah, that's, that is so funny. Uh, Pat Torpy, drummer for Mr. Big. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that I remember about Mr. Big was uh, Paul Gilbert on guitar, who was this renowned shredder, but never got the love that like an Ingve or something yeah. got. And uh, what was their big hit? I don't remember. Had, sure it they, was one. There was one that was like all over the radio for right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had uh, Eric Martin, who's a, a local like uh, San Francisco area singer in a lot of little bands. Yeah. But they had Billy Sheehan on on bass, and Billy's crazy good. Yeah. It's almost like you go, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the same way where Billy Sheehan was in David Lee Roth's band. Yeah. And it's like, why are you doing this? Tommy Aldridge he used to play drums with uh, Pat Travers was in yeah. that band. Well, I think you know those are those dudes that like, they're you know like you know we talk about working actors, right? You know, it's like hey, a gig's a gig. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And because I'm not Eddie Van Halen, uh-huh. I can go to the next gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the great thing. There's a great uh, documentary out on Netflix. Um, Hired Gun mm. about studio session musicians. There's another one called The Wrecking Crew. Sure. That's just it's awesome. Those guys. And you just see them just sitting legendary, down going, yeah. What are we doing? Boom. Yeah. Magic happens. Um, Craig McGregor, bassist for Foghat. Full for the city. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Foghat's one of those bands that, like, when I was a kid, I'm like, Yeah, Foghat. Yeah. But. <laughs> They weren't very good. No, they're terrible. <laughs> I saw them live once, and it was just like, it just sounded like an hour-long song that was like just full for the city, went into whatever the fuck else happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was one of those things where the guy, the guy, the main guitar player was is a decent slide player. Yeah. And I remember going, I should learn how to play the slide. Yeah. And then I learned that I don't, I can't. Trying to keep it music. One last one. Johan Johansson, this was announced today. Um, he wrote the score to uh, Arrival, Sicario, um, Theory of Everything. Yes. Fairly young. Yeah, he was, I want to say 48 yeah, or something, something, like, that, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I was going to bring up um, uh, uh, In Deaths. Um, Lovebug Starsky. What? <laughs> Lovebug Starsky. Lovebug Starsky was the guy who is generally accepted as coming up with the term hip hop. No um, kidding. He was one of the he. Yeah, I'm floored by. It. He is. He was at the vanguard of of rap and hip hop coming out of Brooklyn. Huh? Um, um, 
you know, there were three, you know, base, basically table legs there, and he was one of the three. Uh-huh. And uh, while he didn't go on and become famous like, you know, um, like Grandmaster Flash did, right? Um, he was just as important to the beginning of that that movement, and he was only fifty-seven. Oh, damn, when he passed away. Damn, that was the. I I I had no no <laughs> I had no knowledge of anything, even, even of the guy. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Um. Let's see. Some actors. Uh, uh, John Gavin. He was the love interest in Psycho. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big character actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reg E. Cathy. He was in The Wire. And he was in House of Cards. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Another generic, sort of generic movie filler guy that was always solid. Kind of a, a... for lack of a better word, a Morgan Freeman kind type. Kind of. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he would do a lot of that, let me tell you, boy, yeah. kind of thing, and, you know, be the mentor kind right. of guy. Uh, John Mahoney, the dad from Frasier. Right. I didn't know he did so much. Like, people were sh- sharing on Facebook, um, hey, remember th- him in this and this? And I'm like, no, I didn't know he was in that. Yeah. You know, it's just... Well, he's one of those guys that has kind of a, you know, for lack of a better word, blank... Mm-hmm. And, and and um but he was really good um right. in Fraser he was fantastic he was great. you know the thing that i keep reading about in relation to him is the 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 straight washing of him um he was gay i didn't know that yeah. i didn't read that yeah he was gay and uh that he kept running into these roles and and uh, were basically he was kind of being forced into the closet even though he was openly gay but mm-hmm. for whatever reason in his case he, he they they professionally want to say yeah like career guess, career yeah. wise yeah yeah, 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 yeah. i could yeah. see that you know it's like it's what about the guy who you know um uh well i don't think i'm not trying to insinuate that danny trejo isn't a tough guy but danny trejo has a definite soft side to him oh de- yeah sure and definitely. um it just seems it's it's that weird thing when that gets forced on you, when the tough guy gets forced on you, right? You know, and you're like, I, I'm, that's yeah. not who I am. Yeah, you know. But there yeah. you go. And then, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, and finally, Jill Messicky. She produced uh, Mean Girls, and she was Rose McGowan's manager. Yeah. And she was caught up in the, the a lot of the same um, the situation that Harvey, the Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein situation. Stuff, and she and she committed suicide. She committed suicide. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It happens to a lot of of people who have endured that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, she was super young too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely sad. Uh, let's see, moving on to news, uh, a lot of little stuff this week. The U.S. ski team, their practice uniforms, the men's are printed to look like Captain America, and the girls are printed to look like Captain Marvel. And I think that's kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, it beats those uniforms that I can't remember what country had that looked like they were nude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like a few years ago. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. <laughs> well, I guess the, that Tongan guy came back for the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Yeah. With his shirt off and everyone's all, ooh, ah. yeah. <laughs> I love... But he normally competes in Taekwondo in, he really? in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a, cool. He's a skier this year. Yeah. <laughs> when in Rome. Um, Harrison Ford supposedly... Uh, on the QT, it was an advisor on Solo. 
the Star Wars story yeah. thing that's coming up. Well, that's smart. I mean, I think like, it is when too. you have this iconic character, yeah. uh, and you, I, I, I get the feeling that Harrison Ford, on one hand, is kind of like Quincy Jones and doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But on the other hand, I think he was smart enough to realize this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, well, we need to have some insight into this. I character. wonder if it was like true insight or if it's just like, no, 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 dude, you, when you stand, you got to cock your hip out. Mm, right. That yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. Uh, uh, you know, tell Maybe all of the. I, l- I really like the actor who's playing solo. Yeah. Uh, We're going to talk about that, that trailer in a yeah, second. Yeah, well, the, the last thing I remember him from was Hail Caesar. Oh yeah, yeah. He was the the country bumpkin <laughs> actor. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, and he was really good. Really good at that. Um, I wanted to say one last thing about Quincy Jones' sure. interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's talking about Marlon Brando. And That's Richard my next Pro- item. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, go ahead. No, go no. Ahead. Supposedly Richard Pryor, who was never um, uh, uh, never hid his bisexuality yeah now there was again back to gilbert gilbert on his show they've talked about how supposedly there was a time when brando had money because he had been in some films right rented a big house in new york and just you let actors flop there and that he and wally cox took psilocybin mm-hmm. and went into a teepee in one of the rooms and stayed there for like a day. Sure. And supposedly they were had an on-again, off-again relationship. Too. Yes, you do. Yeah. It was the 70s. It's actors. <laughs> <laughs> They're allowed to be bohemian. <laughs> well, uh, Richard Pryor's um, ex... Uh, yeah, no, uh, the, the confirmed it. Yeah, confirmed it. Yeah. It's like... And, and, but I, I can't remember now, but her statement was basically along the lines of like... Look, there were a lot of drugs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you did enough of that, you'd fuck a radiator. Exactly. Did she say that? <laughs> yeah, that that's is exactly so funny. what she said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and while I could not care less what other people do with their genitalia, mm-hmm. I do feel like it's interesting because it gives you, in this case, icon- these iconic actor and an iconic stand-up. Um, we're not going to call Pryor an iconic actor, <laughs> but um, it gives you just a little more insight into insight that. into their lives. Yeah, like, I was hearing something about Rock Hudson's life and how fucking tragic it was. Oh because yeah, he couldn't. It, it, he was reliant on it's back back to that having to play a tough guy when yeah. you're not. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Um, Sally Kirkland uh, posted to her uh, Instagram or Twitter that she had a fall and she did a face plant. Dude. Stitches in her face, like oh, she. Wow. It sounds like she went down, and the first thing that hit the floor was her face. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's for an actress, you know. That's a big deal. That's yeah. a big deal. Let's see. Brian Fuller has left. You know, Apple. We talked a couple weeks ago about Apple TV doing a reboot of Amazing Stories. Right. And Brian Fuller was going to be the showrunner. Right. Oh wow. Not no more. Um, do you know the TV's kid show Kim Possible? Yes. Okay, they're doing a live-action one called Mother of Pearl. Okay. <laughs> what one has to do with the other, I don't know. Why is anyone calling for a Kim Possible live-action? Uh, Maybe as much as they were calling for the Get Smart thing or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, at, there's a whole um, crop of children's programming that... I'm aware of yeah. because I had 
kids at that age at uh-huh. that time that that like that I'm also completely ignorant of. Sure, Kim Possible falls in that category. Yeah, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've seen episodes, but, but I just have no idea what's going on. So I I, I lack. You know, is 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 Kim Possible someone's land of the lost to them? Maybe you, you know what I mean. Maybe like, yeah, so, yeah, that's a good so way of thinking of it. Maybe there's a whole generation there that like, hey, they're you know, clamoring for yeah, Kim Possible. Know, maybe uh, Game of Thrones creators are developing a new Star Wars franchise. Uh, sure, uh, the, a the movie, uh, a franchise. So the idea is that they'll do it's a it's a new like as we have the Luke Leia Darth Vader saga. Right, it's a new saga. About okay. something that is going on in the Star Wars. Well, universe. maybe they'll do like what I've always said I wanted to see in the Star Wars universe, where it's just like has nothing to do with any of this other. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just in that world. It's yeah. just in that universe. Like it doesn't have anything to do with the Empire. It doesn't have anything to yeah, do. Yeah, and that's you know, kind of what they're talking that, about. That would be cool. I mean, the Empire will probably be involved. And well, like I mean, Jedi will be involved. Yeah, but it'll be something else. I told you my idea. My my favorite Star Wars idea. The it, the the Wookiee Ewok. No, the battle. Well, the no. I I I want uh, I want a, a a mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom in the Star Wars universe. Oh, that'd be fun. Where it's just like. You know, each week they go and they check yeah. out some weird animal or some weird creature. You know, it's like you know. This would be so much funny if I can remember. Jim the, is wrestling yeah. the you know blue thorded hornswoggle on. Well, know. I was. That's the thing. I was trying to remember the name of the 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 thing Luke faces in the basement of Jabba's castle. There's a name that big giant. Stop. Oh, the. Thing. the I know. Rancor. 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 Yeah, the Rancor. Here's Jim wrestling the Rancor. (laughs) That's the joke. Thanks for staying up with me on that one. So here's the thing is that, like, so we we see the Rancor, right? Uh, And and there's the guy that takes care of it who's all sad when it's dead, you know. Yeah. There has to be more of those things, right? Yeah. What's their natural habitat? What's fun is, is when you look at, it's almost like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead thing, where it's like, you know, you look at someone like, you know, that guy, mm-hmm. and just imagine, like, him years later. I hate those Jedi because they killed the only friend I ever had. Right, exactly, yeah. Very I would, funny. I, that kind of Star Wars shit, I would be all over. Yeah, I, do I, an entire film, now that he's dead, spoiler, now that he's dead, do an entire film on the life of Admiral Akbar. Yeah, just, oh yeah. Just, you know, he. no one likes him. And he's just walking around, like going, "Hey, you know, why do, why are there this many hot dogs in this many hot dog buns? It's a trap." <laughs> yeah, I just think all of that. If you're gonna do it, like do it, have fun with it. Yeah, but, yeah. I would enjoy that a lot more than than all the, That's the, the, the trumped up princess thing. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Uh, David Leach is who did uh, Deadpool two which we're going to talk about in a minute, it may direct The Rock and Jason Statham in The Fast and the Furious. And I figure... David Leach... Wait. Did, what? The Fast and the Furious. Okay. So Fast and the Furious has this number of films. Right. They've introduced The Rock and they've introduced Jason Statham now that they're all, I guess, fucking secret agents. And now they're they're so popular <laughs> that they want to spin them off into their own franchise. I think the Mission Impossible franchise and the Fast and the Furious franchise should meet. Should get together. Yeah. Yeah, especially now that they're secret agents. Fast and Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that new Mission Impossible thing. Um, but David Leach, he was the producer on John Wick. Yeah. And, you know, so... 
He has yeah, he, he's kinetic style action sure. filmmaking if, chops. If, if Justin Lin isn't going to come back, who, yeah. while that film is dog shit, it looks great and the stunts are huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen King is going to release two books in 2018. Huh. One called The Outsider and a little short thing called Elevation. Okay. So there's a guy that's working. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of cool. There's a anniversary of Planet of the Apes, come like around now yeah, coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Boom Comics is doing something called Planet of the Apes Visionaries. It's based on an unused Rod Serling script. Script. It's being drawn by Chad Lewis and it's being written by Dana Gould, who's a stand-up. Oh, very cool. Dana has in his backyard. He's, he's a huge Planet huge, of the Apes. He's guy. got a lawgiver statue. For wow. He routinely re- employs makeup guys to make him into Dr. Zayas. Yeah. And he does... He did... Go on YouTube. You can find Dana Gould... Okay. <laughs> Dana Gould dressed as Dr. Zayas doing Hal Holbrook's Mark Twain. <laughs> and it's hilarious. It's absolutely... There's another clip of him on a chat show and Dr. Zayas is being like... Like someone like like on the Merv Griffin show. Like, yeah. Well, you know, I worked with that guy and he was fabulous. <laughs> Hilarious. But I think that's very cool. Why not? Why aren't we doing? I mean, with the success of the Planet of the Apes movies, why aren't we doing a lot more of those? Why? Yeah. You know. Anyway, those. I got to tell you, man, that new trilogy of Planet of the Apes great. movies. They're amazing. They're great. They're I I haven't seen the last one yet, but I'm so in the bag. It's so for them. good. It's they're all they're all great. And we say this a lot on the show, but fucking Anthony Circus or Andy Circus. Yeah, Andy Circus is, is Jesus is, is amazing. We've talked about this on the show before, but if you go on YouTube, you can find that transformation clip. Yeah. of him going from Andy Circus to Caesar, and it's very very cool. Yeah. Um, year a couple of years ago, there was an Australian croc flick called Blackwater. Yeah, that's that was re- actually really good. Um, Blackwater Two Abyss. They're going to go back and they're going to okay. Who knows what else? Um, I actually like that movie, Blackwater. Yeah. Well, I mean, it speaks to that visceral, primal fear that that we have. You know, from the time when we were, you know, first walking on two legs. It's the Jaws thing, being right? eaten. Being yeah. eaten is not being, e- being eaten by a fucking dinosaur. Yeah. Being eaten and not in a good way. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think I shared with you, like every time we, we wind up talking about crocodiles, you know, that I think that the the Ridley Scott movie Exodus is a piece of crap. Uh-huh. But, but, that, I saw that. You saw that, right? <laughs> oh my God, that scene is amazing. It's so, so rad. It's so, uh, th- and then that poor guy that's on the mask. Yeah. And, the, and it's just like. He's like, I'm getting away. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> yeah, like, it's great. It's during one of the plagues, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I'd i have to go back and rewatch it, but I think it's the... And I love this idea. You know how in um, the Ten Commandments, the they took the they took the idea very literal, the, the, the Nile turned to blood. Uh-huh. Moses pours the, the yeah, and it turns water to blood. and it turns to blood. And then the, I, I think that the crocs eating people are, yeah. is the Nile that's turning what, to blood. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Awesome. And it's like I did I did research on Crocs for a while for something I was working on and they are more frightening than you could ever oh imagine. Oh my god, yeah. And and that was the first time I ever saw it like with people involved like in movies yeah. where you go, "Wow." Oh, yeah. That is something. Uh this will excite you. Um March 13th, Shape of Water coming to Blu-ray. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> two, two disc set I hear with lots of extras. Yes. 
Oh, and, thank goodness. Yeah, that's yeah, very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amazon is do is rebooting or relaunching a Conan series. Yeah. Big budget, like Game of Thrones budget. Yeah, well, I think they are, you know, well, they, aren't they the same guys that are like, you know, hey, we're doing a Lord of the Rings series? Yeah. I think they're really doubling down on this whole Game of Thrones fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, thing. Well, you know, the the Netflix, uh, Super Bowl, we're going to talk about a lot of Super Bowl, believe it or not, in a minute, but... Um, um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, 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 lost my train of thought. Netflix, Super Bowl. Oh, Netflix. They they did this thing with this uh, Cloverfield. Um, they yeah, released yeah, like yeah. by the way, we're releasing a new Cloverfield. Cloverfield movie. paradox. Turns out now that this the it's coming out that it's it was been it's been done. The movie's terrible. No one wanted to release it, and Netflix paid fifty million for it. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I keep reading, and I've yet to meet any of these people, but I keep reading that there's a Cloverfield, that there's this big Cloverfield fan base out there. I don't know who. They I don't are. know a single. Person. I don't. I don't. I've never been in a discussion <laughs> where someone was, and you know what? Yeah. Cloverfield. <laughs> wow. I keep hearing though. You know, I never did watch Cloverfield, Ten Lane or whatever it's yeah. called. Um, but I keep hearing that that's a really really good movie. From people mm-hmm. whose opinions I trust. John Goodman, um, man. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I, I do want to check that out. Um, I did not enjoy the first Cloverfield, which is Me. weird because yeah. I like monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hate found footage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hate handheld. Yeah, and I, and I think that that monster is... J.J. Abrams has a very definite... Uh, Type mm-hmm. when it comes to monsters, yeah. and he likes that type because I've seen that similar design in Super Eight. And yeah, these big leggy things. Like yeah, he likes yeah, big yeah. leggy. It's things. almost like the what are they called in Skull Island? Oh, the, oh my God, the Skull, Skull Crushers, crushers yeah, or whatever. Yeah. They look. Like like, I was like, hey, look, it's Cloverfield. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's weird, man. That, that, yeah. that bothered me. Well, my biggest problem with a lot of this stuff is, in my opinion, monsters are fine, but they have to exist in real space. Mm-hmm. So when you get a monster like the Cloverfield monster, you realize, like, that thing moving around, it would be like, remember the little toys you wind up and you put them in the water and they flop their arms and yeah, stuff? Yeah. It would not have be able to move around. And so a lot of times it may look cool, but does it, is it functional? Yeah. You know? So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. a documentary called "Unearth and Untold: The Path to Pet Cemetery" coming to Blu-ray in March. So it's one of those like so "Never Sleep Again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that'll be cool. Like, man, "Never Sleep Again" is great. That's a great document. It's like yeah. almost four hours long yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not boring. You would no. think something four hours, you'd be a little bored. No, not at all. Yeah. I, I there's a f- you know there's been a few that's been coming out um, and our friend Heather has been involved with some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the one for uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, that's a great documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of I think it's by the same guys. Yeah, maybe I'm, I might be wrong. I might just be pulling that. Out I of my love ass. all that shit. Yeah, like, behind the scenes, especially when you can talk to someone after the fact, like 20 years after the fact, right? and you're not getting that sort of, you know, that standard shit where you hear, like, people go, uh, 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 oh, he's a pleasure to work with. Yeah, and then, yeah, like, yeah. 20 years later, you, that guy will look you in the eye and go, that guy was an asshole. Yeah. And I love that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, of all people, is being considered to, for the Joker. Um, in a standalone 
origin movie. Yeah, as I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, My question, just like Batman, do we need an origin movie for the Bat- for the Joker? I don't know. I mean, do, you know. My response is, do we no. need any of that shit? <laughs> <laughs> um, having said that, looking at Joaquin Phoenix, I could see him playing the Joker. Yeah. You know, I, I also read that at one point when Tim Burton was doing Batman, he actually offered the Joker, before Nicholson got involved, to Willem Dafoe. Oh, uh, that, that makes sense. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been great. Uh, let's see, DC and Michael Bay, are consp- they're talking about doing Lobo. Which is, it's got to be one of those R-rated things, yeah. because Lobo is drinking and cussing and yeah. boring and killing people. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin Lin, who did, I just talked about him, yeah. um, did Star Trek Beyond and Fast and Furious, is directing the Magnum P.I. plot uh, pilot for uh, CBS. Who cares? I don't care. Uh, it'll be a, probably a lot of car chases. Um, Joan Jett is a documentary called Bad Reputation it just got picked up by Magnolia. That, uh, that's, yeah, Magnolia. That would be cool. I really, I'm in. I really, really like Joan Well, there's Jett. more to her than meets the eye. Yeah. I mean, she's like a transformer. <laughs> she, yeah. Oh, she's she's a vegan. Um, I think she's gay. Um, she's in charge of her band and always has been. Mm-hmm. Um, she's bisexual. Is she? Yeah, she okay. uh, she she has that great song um, called. Uh, I'm, I'm I not. Wanna, I want to say it's called ACDC or something. Okay. Damn it! Damn it something something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that basically talks about it. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and Which she looks great. great because yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. She's in her fifties, maybe even sixties. Yeah, she, she looks yeah, fantastic. Looks great. Uh, coming also coming to Blu-ray. Um, I might be the only one that cares about this. Cecil B. DeMille's Cleopatra. Oh no, that would be great. It would be right. Yeah, fucking right. right. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's going to be very cool. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that they took some time with it and cleaned it up, and mm-hmm. so there you go. Um, Don Mancini, who wrote and direct uh, directed a couple of the Chucky movies, uh-huh. um, is is trying to bring Chucky to TV. Mm, okay. Sure. Why not? Why not? That'll be good for a season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina and Annihilation, is developing a sci-fi series for FX. Okay. I'm in. Good. Okay. Good. Uh, based on what else he's done, sure. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Speaking of Willem Dafoe, the guy who did The Witch has a new movie coming out called Lighthouse. Yeah. He just cast Willem Dafoe. the The synopsis on it was really thin, like, you know couple tens of lighthouse or some shit like that mm-hmm. lighthouses are coming up a lot there's that little crafting thing we talked about right. last yeah, week yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the week before <clears throat> that there was another one kind of weird yeah kind of weird a couple more that's the way that you know it's the it's it's, it's the it's the comet hitting the earth yeah. syndrome right yeah, yeah yeah yeah. it's the volcanoes yeah and the, exactly it's yeah, like yeah. all of a sudden everybody's in the same zeitgeist and is writing the same movie it was absolutely david s goyer has left masters of the universe Oh, Shucky. I oh, don't care. I know. <laughs> and then finally, um, Tosh.0 just got renewed for three new seasons. Okay. Yeah. Tosh. I don't, I, it's, it, that's a guy showing YouTube videos, right? Kind of. Right. He, he does a little other things, and he took a lot of heat uh, a few years ago because um, he made a, a bad joke to this woman about rape and um, took a lot of heat and was sort of at the forefront of the... 
PC police meets comedy, mm-hmm. like how far is too far, right, and, right, right. and are you allowed to tell a joke if it offends someone in the room, all right. that stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see, moving on to trailers. Speaking of Deadpool 2, there's a, a thing um, for Deadpool 2. Uh, introduces a lot more cable. Right. Um, is more Ryan Reynolds being funny. Again, directed by David Leach, who drew, I'm sorry, he produced John Wick and directed Atomic Blonde. Okay. What'd you think? Of the trailer? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm on board. I mean, you know, I... The first one was fun. The first one was fun, and, uh, uh, you know, one of the few comic book movies that I, I'm like, okay, um, it bothers me that I see a lot more um, other superheroes, you know... There's, there's going to the be X-Men, more, yeah, more and more. What's her name? Negatonic, nuclear... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever her well, name I thought it was cool. She was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, definitely uh, Colossus is back. Mm-hmm. There's a scene of him grabbing I, his butt. I like, there's, I like the... Uh, I like the inclusion of the cab driver. Yeah. Like, like he's it back. It sounds like he's going to be a constant. T.J. Miller is back. It, mm. it looks just more of the same. Who's his uh, Who's his housemate? Leslie Uggams? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great that's, that's a, great that's a great shot. That, yeah. that was funny. In the yeah. trailer, they both pulled guns, and she, because she plays a woman who's blind, she's pointing in the wrong direction, and he's kind of annoyed, moves her he arm back. He has to move her arm in the right direction. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> and again, the fact that that's Leslie Uggams is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, One thing I didn't notice from that trailer is uh, is the girlfriend still around? Yes. Okay. I looked at the casting, uh-huh. and she's she's in there. Okay. Um, I hope they because that was that's that's part of what makes the first Deadpool cool. Absolutely. Is that story. Yeah. I I'm hoping that they let them expand it. And because of its success, they don't try to constrict it. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, you know what? We're not going to do a pegging joke this time. Yeah. It's like, you know yeah, what? Yeah. That pegging joke was the funniest thing that in was, your movie. That was very funny, yeah. Um, next up, Eli Roth released a Grindhouse trailer for Oh, my Death God. Wish. Okay, so everything, everything about this movie, I can't stand. I know. I'm just like, it drives me nuts. And now you, you make... It's frustrating. Because when the whole Grindhouse thing was happening uh-huh. in the late 90s or whatever, or in the mid whenever that was, right? Tarantino and, and, and those cats, you know, getting their getting their Grindhouse on. I was all over it, right? I was right. like, I thought it was awesome, you know? I tried to make everything I did look Grindhouse. Like that, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this is just dumb. Like, like, like we've moved on. Well, I think it's, it's, it's trying to put a patina of cool... On a film that, um, I, I don't know that this film is going to land the same way that the other one did, because we live in different times yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a movie that sanctions Joe Average picking up a gun and stalking the streets. Deciding I that somebody yeah, deserves to I got play. a kind of a problem with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know how the film... Well, I just, I don't like, okay, so the first Death Wish... Uh-huh. With Charles Bronson, um, at least carried more gravitas. Yeah, I I don't think we're gonna have the scene of Bruce Willis throwing up after he kills the first guy. No, no, I think he's gonna. I think his it's dick will get hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. gonna be like, yeah. Well, there's the line where his therapist goes, "Well, are you doing something different? Whatever you're doing, you should do that." And he's all, "I, I will," because what, what he's doing is killing people, and I just don't know about the message. I mean, I get it. Well, it's exploitation, you know, and 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 this is this has nothing to do with the quality of the filmmaking. But I I've just gotten so fucking sick of I 
can't stand Bruce Willis. Yeah. Bruce Willis and fucking Eli Roth. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. So I don't even know about this. I mean, it's going to be. And I thought that we already kind of re- remade Death Wish with the uh, Death. What is it? Death Warrant, the Kevin Bacon, James Wan movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm fucking up that title, I'm sure. But I just don't care. Yeah. You know? It's and, just, anyway. It looks awful. Uh, a film called. Next up is a film called Disobedience. Looks like Orthodox. Two women that are Orthodox Jews. Right. Uh, who are lovers. Well, it. From what I understand is um, the Rachel Weisz character mm-hmm. um, has kind of been kicked out, right? Yeah. Because she's not, she's not part of the fold. She's coming home because her father has died. Her Someone in her family is married to this other girl. Uh-huh. And she and the girl either, either used to... I get the impression they did. And they that were... Maybe, maybe that's why Rachel Weisz is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it... Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it reminded me a lot of. There's a film by Deepa Mehta. It's an Indian film called Fire. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Reminded me of Fire a yeah. lot. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be. Sh- I'd be shocked if to hear that they didn't at least weren't at least aware of that. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm in. Yeah, it, it, looks, it looks good. great. It looks cool. high drama. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it looks great. Uh, next up. Irreplaceable You is a drama dramedy about a couple who's having a baby and she gets diagnosed with cancer. This looks horribly tragic and sad. Yeah. And funny. Yeah. Because I think inherently there's comedy in that stuff. We learned that with 50-50, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So right off the bat, the um, the uh, uh, the status quo is a little different because it's it's it, it's it's a guy and a girl who have been friends since they were little kids mm-hmm. and they've fallen in love. He's a nerdy white guy. She's a very pretty black woman. Mm-hmm. So uh, so right off the bat the the um the representation of a relationship is a little different than what you see mm-hmm. in films. Yeah. It's not a stereotype. And then they get married and they think we're pregnant. And then they find out it's actually not a baby; it's a big cyst, yeah, or a big—I'm sorry—a big tumor, yeah. And uh, and then she, but it seems like the film's focuses around her going to group therapy to deal with, you know. Uh, I can't decide whether it's therapy because it's cancer survivor th- therapy, right. or if it's preparation for the how, terminal how ill. How to deal with with your in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Christopher device. Walken's in it. Long enough to just tear your heart out. It yeah. looks like he's he looks like he's kind of the Yoda. Yeah, he's 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 funny, but he's mm-hmm. also the guy that's kind of laying down the wisdom for. And and part of the it seems like part of the storyline is she's she's trying to plan this guy's life for after she's gone. Yeah, including looking for girls for him. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, and it looks horribly sad and tragic and looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's a Netflix thing, so it, it, you know, yeah. hopefully it'll... Yeah, I, it, it, I agree with you, it does look really sad. Yeah. One of the things that happened the last week was um, Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, they just dumped a bunch of trailers, and that's yeah. what most of this week is. Yeah. So one of those, um, J.A. Bayona, he directed The Monster Calls and The Orphanage. He's directing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Right. Um, I didn't mind the last, the first Jurassic World. Yeah, it was fine. This just looks. I guess if you're gonna buy that now, Chris Pratt has a pet 
Velociraptor. Right. And if you swallow that, sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks just more dinosaurs eating people. Yeah. I mean, we know the premise is that the island is failing. <coughs> it, it, it's going to blow up or, or so- some shit. something. And uh, so there's a, I'm, I, there's a push to get at least some of the animals off the island. Mm-hmm. I guess is is what's. But going they've on. also built this other one, this mm-hmm. other super predator thing. Right. That is that. like. I'm sure it gets loose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a competing element who are just trying to kill all the animals. Yeah, I I don't know. Well, uh, um, th- it's weird that in the trailer they show like Pratt about to get eaten. Yeah, and then he calls for this blue character, the Velociraptor, right. and so it's like, is that part of the climax? I sure hope not. Yeah. So I mean, that was part of the climax of the last one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but this literally it looks like he's. He's making it sit up and roll over. Yeah. You know, which... Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway. It's a... Um, you know, it's dinosaurs, so I'll be there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, is it going to... I don't know. Uh, Jennifer looked at it, and she said, this is suspense porn, and I'm not going to watch it, because she can't yeah. handle suspense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does look a lot scarier yeah. and more suspenseful. Than the other oh, that there's it opens with the it, what I assume <laughs> is a dream sequence of this giant T Rex coming through the a child's window. Yeah, and it's frightening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, Mission Impossible Fallout, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote Suspects and he's done a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the name of this one? Fallout. Fallout. Yeah. Uh, first of all, has Tom Cruise lost his fucking mind? Like, he wants to die, right? Oh, wait, this is the Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible. movie? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, he's doing those crazy stunts, you know. They, there's a stunt they kind of flash on. He said, he was on uh, Graham Norton, he was saying, it's it's the helicopter with those payloads suspended and he's climbing up the rope. Yeah. That shit, uh, he's untethered. Yeah. And that's bananas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's, the thing that blew me away about this, though, there's a fight scene in a bathroom yeah. between Henry Cavill and somebody, some uh, a, a guy, I believe he's Asian. But there is a toss through the mirror. Yeah. That like, crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. It's It reminded me of Blade 2, when, when the Reaper throws Priest across the bar and through yeah. the window. It, it made me think of um, the entire mall fight scene from... Um, Police story. Police story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it looks balls out, yeah. and I just hope that there's a story there. Yeah, you know, because they've definitely got the the stunts lock on lock. Yeah, you know. Um, next up, this is a repeat of something we, but they released a bigger trailer. John Krasinski and Emily Blunt in this movie, A Quiet Place. Yeah, we when when they first released that first trailer, um, you had no idea what the threat was mm-hmm. other than you you had to be quiet mm-hmm. and now it looks like they've expanded it a little bit so we know it seems like aliens yeah i i couldn't tell i love it because it's 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 really reliant on the sound design yeah and there's no dialogue yeah and as an actor that's got to be really intense yeah 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 one of the actresses the one of the kids is deaf yeah and so she was a big help there but Basically, you know, for folks who haven't seen this, is whatever the threat is, there's something out there that's going to come get you, and it comes get you, and it comes and gets you, 
through hearing. Mm -hmm. So you have to, in order to survive, you have to be insanely quiet. quiet. So there's like, you know, they've got this little place that they've built and they're like, they're playing a a board game, but they've made all the pieces out of felt felt or something. Yeah, Yeah, it's weird. It doesn't make sound. I mean, there's a moment, I don't know if it was in this trailer or another one, but when when a kid drops a fork, that's a major problem. Yeah. You know, because it sounded like it's not just going to come get you who made the noise. It's coming to get all. It's of coming us. to get yeah. It's coming to kill. Yeah, I like the premise. It's a, it's a cool idea. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I just you know I just when I look at that you know the the twelve year old in me is like what if I fart you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> we make Stub we your make toe. sounds all the time all that the are time. involuntary in your sleep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Tr- tell you, oh I, my god, I, what if you? Uh, uh, I'd be dead tomorrow because I snore so loud. Yeah, you, know, this yeah, you would. I uh, uh, I watch people sleep for a living, and they make all kinds of funny sounds. Yeah. So, yeah, you're fucked. Uh, next up, Rawson Marshall Thurber. He directed Dodgeball and We're the Millers. It has a movie coming out with The Rock called Skyscraper. This looks one of the, like, one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Well, It's okay. Die Hard, right? It's Die Hard. Uh complicated by the fact that Rock is apparently a, a, a vet and has lost yeah, a leg. lost a leg. So he's got a prosthetic leg. And yet, leg. you see him dr- jumping 30 feet from a... <laughs> well, first of all, I hate the design of the building. It's like this weird yeah. spiral, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. organic It's thing. like something you'd see built in Dubai. You know, it's yeah. like screwball and weird and the design <laughs> super... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically... They've got this giant... It's the tallest building in the world. Mm-hmm. His family is trapped on the 240th floor. Yeah. And it just looks stupid. Uh, I, yeah. I I, I think this guy has a good movie in him. And I think... That I he, do too. I think that people are... Well, one, I, he he's going where the money is. Mm-hmm. And two, I think that... Um, I think that people... I call it the Brendan Fraser syndrome. It's like you have a success mm-hmm. with this type of movie, so that's all we're going to give you. Right. And then once, once in a blue moon, something like Gods and Monsters comes along, right. shows that you've got a lot more in your tank. Mm-hmm. But and you get George of the Jungle. And you get George of the Jungle. <laughs> with yeah. The Rock, it's not even acting anymore. It's just like, what if we put Rock, The Rock here? What yeah, if we put exactly. it here? And it's got to be the easiest gig in the world. There's and no character prep. An old podcast that I used to work on called Real Men, we had a segment called Actor or Prop. Yeah. And I think The Rock at this point is a prop. Yeah. But 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 I think he could be a lot more. I think he's yeah. got more there. I I don't know if the desire is there. You know, yeah. To he just need, he needs something based in action, maybe genre. That Why though? Why? Why? I want to see his acting chops. Put him in a. Put yeah. him. Yeah, Vin Diesel in. Um, uh, Death of uh, a Salesman. No, 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 no. <laughs> Vin Diesel in um, Saving Private Ryan. Oh yeah, he was you great. Know? He was great. Yeah. Give The Rock a role like that. Give Vin Diesel another role like that instead mm-hmm. of putting him again in the Fast and the I think. Theory, I and think though that Vin is making all the calls on that one. Uh, that's, yeah. So I. I don't know. I think that I agree with you though. Um, it would be uh, there. There's something out there for him. Yeah. The joke I was going to make about action and genre was my, my first book, but <laughs> I'm gonna let that go. <laughs> Speaking of the uh, the Ron Howard thing, Solo, a Star Wars story. I didn't think I gave a shit, but I kind of do. The one thing that gets me about this film is I have a feeling there are zero surprises. 
you're going to get the Kessel Run. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get Jabba. You're going to get him. How he met Chewie. Chewie. All of it. Yeah. Was he? I don't know if it was you or something else that I was. Someone else I was talking to or listening to. But th- what my hope is is this movie ends with an old man and a kid walking up to them in a bar. Yeah, kind of be, like what Rogue One was that, doing. Yeah, that would be badass. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it lo- I, the character seems to be pretty likable. Yeah. Um. Uh. They brought back the whole. Remember the scene in Star Wars where they they're hiding on the asteroid and there's that monster inside. Yeah. They kind of brought that back with the tentacle thing that they're flying through. Yeah. Danny Glover looks great as Lando. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in. I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but I'm yeah. kind of in. Um, next up, Leonard Ruff. He directed a movie called No Sarah. Um, the Titan. Sam Worthington goes into this project and he's turned into an alien. Yeah, so the idea is... We've we finally reached the point where it's like, hey man, in ten years we cannot live on Earth anymore. It's mm-hmm. just, right. We fucked it up so bad, and there, and this is what's happening. The only chance we have of survival is to go to Titan, mm-hmm. which is one of Jupiter's the moons. moons. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but in order to do that, we have to evolve. Right. And so they're doing all these crazy genetic modifications and, mm-hmm. and experiments to these astronauts, these humans that are going to go there. And in the process, we become something else, and it seems like things go awry. Yeah, it seems like they're, they almost feel like they evolve to a point where they think, oh, oh the problem here is it's these people. people. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it looks like Sam Worthington, for the latter half of the film, buried in makeup. In makeup, yeah. Um, this is one of those things that, if it shows up on HBO, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm not going out of my way for this. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see. Uh, they Ruben Fleischer, who directed Zombieland and Gangster Squad. Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams in the Venom movie. I think that there is way too little in this trailer to make any kind of an informed right? opinion. It's yeah. just Tom Hardy in a, in a CAT scan machine. Yeah. And I just don't get it. It shows him walking around and... Uh, we don't even see we we see nothing of Venom. Right. Uh, they did announce they that Carnage may make and I know if you don't care about that or no, not. Well, no. One of the few things I care about in the comic book world is I've been waiting to see fucking Carnage yeah. as a live action critter. That would be great. That thing's fucking cool. I have a feeling it's way be cooler CG. than Venom. Yeah. Oh, I have a feeling it's going to be CG. Yeah. But I think that um I shouldn't care, but the fact that Tom Hardy's involved I, I kind of like Gangster Squad, so I'm interested. I think a lot he of it's great in the depend. Revenant. Yeah, I and think it's Mad Max. Uh, Warrior. Yeah, he actually looks like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Warrior. Um, oh, dude, one of my favorite movies, Bronson. Bronson. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah, Bronson is just yeah, it's great. Um, I, I I'm in I'm in on this until the next trailer. Makes we'll me see out. What, we'll see. Yeah. We'll and see then finally, it. there was a trailer for um, uh, Westworld season two. Yeah. I didn't watch Westworld, but I am in love with it. Here's the thing: I almost don't want to watch it because I'm afraid it's not going to be as good as I imagine. We watched the first episode of season. Yeah, I did one, too. And our our uh, consensus was: this is great. This is fantastic. I don't want to watch anymore. Yeah, I don't know I'm why. Just, I don't know. I my don't wife, know what it lacked. 
my wife finished it, and she, in fact, has watched the entire series once or twice more. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, it looks fantastic, and and it probably speaks more to me that I didn't want to watch more of it mm -hmm. um, than the show. I think it's. I agree with you because I I experience that a lot. I I see something like when we talk, we see these trailers, and I just think that looks so good that I know I can't see the movie because I know it's not going to be as good as I think it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I'm usually wrong. But it looks cool. Um, it does uh, look cool. Uh, the, it, it looks like the, um, uh, for lack of a better word, replicants, um, yeah, are, we, are, we are, have forward. gotten to a point where they're taking a stand and like, this, they're is, evolving. this is our place. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Uh, I really love the slow, there's like, weird these mechanical bulls kind of thing they come rushing look like yeah. they rush into the complex yeah that awesome looks yeah. great um yeah they kind of had me from the rollout um the, the opening of the first well season. i loved i loved what where it seemed again i'm talking on my ass because mm -hmm. i didn't watch the first season but i loved where it seemed like where it was going where the humans mm -hmm. are the bad guys yeah um and uh, because the you know the 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 original movie based on the Michael Crichton book basically the androids go bad right and and are killing people it's very Blade Runnery yeah 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 and uh, yeah we're so just trying to live our lives exactly man. yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 in fact I kind of pull all that in it t the, the the contemplations on things like existence and the soul. What makes somebody very human. much in line with things like Blade Runner? Very Philip K. Dick. Very Philip yeah, K. Yeah. Dick. Um, moving on to other stuff. Have you watched anything? Anything good? So I just, I, I'll tell you now. I've seen nothing. Well, I, I normally my answer would be the same, just because work is is mm -hmm. uh, an oppressive hammer, and I don't have time. Um, and I'm the nail. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, but um, there's been something that's that's been. This is a Facebook thing. Oddly, oh um, yeah, I, I know what you're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's a it's a it's a Facebook page called Dust, and uh, I, uh, I I don't know how I stumbled across it. I, probably one of their shorts were playing, but basically it's a Facebook page that presents science fiction shorts, mm -hmm. and almost without exception. They're all great. They're very cool. They're very good. And, and and I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's just like random filmmakers and these guys pick them up or, mm -hmm. if, or if people are making things for them. I'm not sure. But it's almost like, it's almost like a, a, even though it's Facebook, it's almost like a TV channel of just science fiction shorts. So if, you, if that sounds interesting to you, you should definitely check it out. You always have the option of checking them out for a while and then you know, unliking, get, unliking them. Yeah, th what I've seen looks great. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very cool. Uh, are you reading anything? We're almost done. Um, no, I've been reading a lot of work stuff. Yeah. Lately. That's uh, exciting. Studying. Uh, I, I'm, I just bought T.J. Tarantula, his book Asleep in the Nightmare yeah. Room. And T.J. is going to be here next week yeah. for, for a conversation on Vincent Price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to recommend his oh, book. Oh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead and yeah, check it out. It's out on Amazon. It's available for Kindle and stuff like that. And your book, String of Pearls, is now Just available out because you can get the it's, book. it's been a while. It's been available for a while as an ebook. Yeah. Um, but for people like me who like to hold the damn book, yeah. it's now available. You can now get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it, very fun. 
Yeah, and um, I'm I uh, since we're there, uh, I just the final edit on the new one. I just finished the first act, so I'll, I have two more acts to go, and we're done. I should be done within a week or two. Um, are you listening to anything? Oops. Um, anything you want to recommend? Well. <laughs> Uh, last week you turned me on to Voodoo Organist. Yeah, they're good, huh? And that's what I've been listening to. He's very good. Very cool. Yeah. That's cool. Um, And then coming up on Monday, we've got Slim Cessna and Jay Munley coming to town. That's right. Very exciting. Um, We're going to try to get our damnest to get one of those boys on here. That would would be fun. That would be very cool. Um, Me, I'm going to go through some stuff real quick. Uh, Comedy Owen Benjamin, huge pianist. Uh, It's okay. Christina P. on Netflix, a thing called Mother Inferior. It's very, very funny. Her husband, Tom Segura, also has a new special out. Music. Terz Reipdahl uh, on ECM has a record called um, uh, Selected Recordings. It's like a greatest hit. If you know Terz Reipdahl at all, he's like a real spacey, kind of not Pat Metheny guitar player, but it's super noodly. Mm-hmm. Um, let me skip that guy. Steely Dan released a live album called Green Flower Street. Cool. It's okay. The the, yeah. the the song picks are good. It's just lackluster. It just doesn't. It just sounds like people are phoning it in. Yeah. Um, Leonard Skinner live in Cardiff in ni- 1975. So this would have been just after Second Helping, mm-hmm. and it's loaded with early early Skinner, and it's the full band. It's before the airplane sure, sure. crash. Um, Mother's Zapp and Mother's six disc set called the Roxy Performances. It's literally six nights they play the Roxy and they record it every night. So they do the same song over and over again, hmm. but it's Zappa, so every time, time every they time do it, it's, it's different. different. Yeah. Two last things. Black Panther soundtrack, uh, Ken, Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. This is, as I said in the mini review I wrote on Facebook, this is like when you're walking by Abercrombie and Fitch or like Hot Topic, and there's this sort of rappy, hip-hoppy music coming out. Right. And all you can think of is how old you are. Right. I listened to this entire soundtrack, and I was just like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping for a Black Panther score. Um, we'll see how that is. That thing is blowing the doors off. It's 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 the biggest pre-sale ever. Yeah. It's going to make n- it's gonna make all the money. Yeah. And then finally, um, this guy... Found a guy named John Valby, aka Doctor Dirty, and this is a really eclectic, weird, specialized taste. Um, you can go on YouTube and find videos of him playing literally fire halls and grange halls to yeah. like 15, 20 people. Yeah, sits at a piano, takes songs like everyone knows, like My Darling Clementine, right, or um, or what have you, and then just rewrites the lyrics and makes them really offensively dirty. Yeah. And there's a part of me, like the little 10-year-old in me, giggles, but it's like limericks set to music. Huh. You know, um, uh, yes, it gets racist and it gets really offensive. Mm -hmm. But now and again... Is that part of the, I mean, like... It's, I've always I'm always interested when there's people like that if they're if they're reflecting their own like what they really think mm-hmm. or if this is like a performance. Well, I just found a, on YouTube I found a half hour interview with him that I haven't listened to yet. But this is the the weird part of it is it's it's literally like an old beer hall 
where and everyone's drinking yeah. and where he's playing these songs and the audience is singing along and there's this weird call and response thing mm -hmm. and yeah I'm well aware in, in the same way that Don Rickles could be you know offensive sure. or, or other some of the old comics could be offensive mm -hmm. this is straight up this guy's gonna die in a hotel in the middle of Right, but it's it, and as you listen to it, it's an it's an aggregate. So like you hear the one silly, stupid song about whatever, and then the next song, there's a skeeter on my, there's a skeeter on my Peter, whack it off. Yeah, come on, it's yeah. so dumb. Yeah, but ten song, five songs in, ten songs in, god damn it, I'm laughing. It's so <laughs> silly and stupid, like kind of like Alan Sherman with Hello Mudda, Hello Sure, Shada, sure. all of that kind of. If, if you're into yeah. that area. John Valby, the song the record was called Juicy Treats. All right. And, don't, and if you don't like John Valby, don't write me and tell me it's offensive and he used the N-word. No, 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 no. It's like, yeah, a lot of these songs were written in the 50s and the 40s, but there's a there's a nostalgia there. And right. I'm, and I'm nothing, I'm, there's no way I don't get, out, get in trouble with recommending this guy. I recommended my wife, and my wife just, she goes, why is this funny? I don't know. It's funny. All right, so we're done. Yeah. Uh, next week again, TJ Tranchel, Vincent Price. Dude. That's, that's going to be fun. Yeah, that's going to be cool. That's going to be badass. So uh, thanks again to Nancy Kilpatrick, and um, we will see you guys next week. All right. What, for the Bonus Material Podcast? I'm Tom <laughs> Farnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scary. 